Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 54 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, having just discovered my first overwintered queenless colony, I wanted to discuss winter losses and how to bounce back this spring. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Firstly, this week, did you know you can get the very latest of my podcasts via my Patreon page? Check out the show notes for details of how to access more videos and the very latest podcasts, especially as we head into the new season. You can also sign up for my fortnightly newsletter. You can do that via my website. And again, I'll leave full details in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Well, it's been another week for record-breaking temperatures here in the UK. We've hit temperatures in excess of 20 degrees centigrade, where the seasonal average should be more like 6 or 7 degrees. A lot has been made of the fact that this time last year we were in the grips of a very icy blast from continental Europe, which was named the Beast from the East, You've probably heard me mention that before, and that gave us overnight temperatures down into the negative double figures area, and we had snow and ice covering all of our hives. What an incredible change we've got. It has, of course, given beekeepers a fantastic opportunity to get out and check colonies way earlier than anyone would normally suggest, and this is where a dose of common sense is required. Temperatures are once again falling, and the forecast is that there may even be snow next week in some parts of the UK. I grabbed one of my beekeeping books from the shelf, and it has a month-by-month guide in it for beginner beekeepers. Each month, it lists jobs to do and what to look out for. In the section for February, it suggests hefting to gauge the weight of the hive, and to make sure that the entrance is not blocked by dead bees and snow. Sensibly, there's no mention of inspecting beehives, as you might well expect. So if you're a beginner beekeeper and you have such a book, or you're looking online at what to do each month, remember, these are just guides. You must take into account the local conditions that you face and not just plough on with instructions that are given by books and websites without giving it some thought. I've probably had the best winter I can remember in a very long time. Just one colony that appears queenless and without brood. All the rest are alive and very well. Some of those colonies are a little on the small side and would possibly have succumbed in a harsher winter. But this year, with the very mild weather that we've had and the addition of some fondant to help some of them along, they've seen out what would normally be a cold February and we now head into March. They are, of course, a long way from being safe. March can be such a fickle month. One day warm and inviting, the next day cold and harsh. So we have to be wary and not relax our guard. But for the most part, they should all now cope. Last year, I wasn't so lucky and suffered the loss of far more colonies. And it occurred to me that this can be such a very difficult time for beekeepers, regardless of the number of colonies that you have. Personally, I'm always devastated when I lose a colony of honeybees, even though I have nearly 70 of them. And I'm sure it feels as bad, if not worse, if you're a beekeeper with just one or two colonies and suffer the loss of one or both. Very often, it's not the beekeeper's fault. Colonies die out for a number of reasons, and I've talked about these previously in other podcasts. 
Sometimes it is the beekeeper's fault, maybe through a lack of experience or bad timing, but as long as you learn through that experience and you're able to take steps to try to prevent it happening again, you can always view it as a positive learning experience. So having suffered this loss, what do you do? Well, firstly, the hive or hives need to be blocked up and moved to a position ready for cleaning, whether it be one hive or ten hives, or maybe even more. Get them away from the apiary, ready for cleaning, but first remember to block up the entrance. You really don't want other bees robbing out the dead hives. Again, I've discussed the reasons for this in previous podcasts, but the number one reason is disease in honeybees spreads so very quickly, so don't give it a helping hand by leaving the lid off the cookie jar. Once you have the hive in a location for cleaning out, the first step is to check out what was going on inside. It's time to turn detective and try to work out what happened and why the colony failed to get through the winter. You can learn so much from a dead colony. It's really important that you take some time just to go through the colony and check what's happened. When you take off the roof and the crime board, you may detect a strange smell. I wouldn't worry too much. It's probably just a mouldy, dead heap of bees smell. Don't read too much into it, but do make a mental note, just in case it could be something more sinister. By that, I mean a foul brood disease. In heavily infected colonies, you can actually smell the disease. There's no need to go around sniffing all of your hives, as it has to be really well advanced. And besides, you'd look a bit odd to anyone that was watching. That said, I've seen several beekeepers do plenty of odd things with their colonies, so it probably wouldn't look that odd at all. On the subject of smells coming from the hive, when my colony at the allotment displayed a heavy infection of chronic bee paralysis virus, you could really smell it. Not the actual virus, but the dead and decaying bees on the floor of the hive. So do take note of any bad odours that you have coming from a dead hive. Once you've taken off the crime board and had a good sniff, take a look down between the frames and see what's going on. This is simple if you have an open mesh floor, as light will be coming in from the bottom of the floor, and anything obstructing the floor will be easily spotted. What you're looking for is dead bees. Can you see where the cluster ended up? If you can see them, start lifting the frames from the side and work your way in towards that cluster, checking each of the frames as you go to see what state they're in. Are they empty of food, for instance? Are they full of honey? But maybe it's solid, like ivy honey. Is it mouldy or is it damp? All these questions will help you understand maybe why the colony didn't survive. I once started this procedure only to get a sudden shock which made me shout out. When I removed one of the frames, I suddenly had this mouse appear in front of me, jump out the top of the box and run away under the shed. I don't know who was more frightened, but you can probably tell I scare easily. I can't even watch a horror film. I'd hide behind the sofa with my eyes shut all the time. Anyway, that's another story. As you lift out the frames with the bees on, have a close look at them. Have they buried themselves deep into the cells? Are there any food stores around them? Or is the frame empty of food? These are all indicators of what might have happened. No food probably means starvation. It's not rocket science really, is it? Move through the cluster carefully, removing frames and inspecting each one. Is there any brood? Can you see any eggs? Again, indicators that the queen was alive and well prior to the colony failing. 
more often than not, a colony that has a queen-right brood area, that's one with eggs and brood in all stages, a colony like that has probably starved if there's no sign of disease. If you do see odd-looking cells and brood, signs of a brood disease, put all the frames back into the brood box and close it up. Give your regional bee inspector a call, if you're in the UK of course, and get them to come out and have a look at it. Better to be safe than sorry. Most of the colonies that die out probably do so because of starvation or the cold. If the colony is too small and we get hit with a strong wintry blast, they just can't maintain enough heat in the brood cluster to keep everyone alive and no amount of added fondant is going to help them at this stage. Clean out the hive, sterilise by scorching or disinfecting and start over. So how can you recover from winter losses quickly and with the minimum of cost? Well, you already have the hive and frames. The frames can be reused, of course. All you have to do is to boil them up and get them nice and clean. I've produced a video where I've done just that, so do take a look at the YouTube videos. The only things missing, once you have everything cleaned out, is foundation for the brood frames, if in fact you use foundation, and a new colony of bees. If you're using a top bar hive, of course, you don't even need to worry about foundation. You can just focus on getting more bees into the hive. Currently, foundation will cost you around £1 per sheep for BS National Brood, so that's going to be £11 to refill the brood box. For beginner beekeepers, now is the time that conversation with more experienced beekeepers will come back to haunt you. The one where they say, if you're starting beekeeping, don't have just one hive, you need a couple. Because if anything goes wrong with one, you can recover the situation with the other. So let's say that you did listen to that wise old beekeeper at the club and got yourself two beehives nicely full of bees and explained it away to your partner by saying that you got lucky and won the club raffle prize, which happened to be a new beehive full of bees. The number of times I've won raffles at various gatherings. It's a wonder anyone else bothers to buy tickets, to be honest, when I show up. At least that's what they hear at home when they empty the truck of more beekeeping kit. So if you're a beginner with just a couple of hives and you've got one surviving colony, you have all you need to get back on track. If you didn't heed the wise sage-like words of other beekeepers, then I guess you could always beg a fellow beekeeper for a swarm, although this will be later in the season. And with the season being fairly short, your best hope then will be just building it up into a colony ready to overwinter the following year. That's not always the case, of course. The bird box cutout that I performed last year was magnificent. You really must check out the video. The cutout was performed in May and consisted of about five frames of wild comb tied into brood frames. About six weeks later, they'd filled a full brood box of 11 frames and begun building comb under the roof. Such was the vigour of the colony. I managed to get two full supers of honey off them from the summer crop and they still managed to swarm on me. Just when you think you've found a great colony, they up and leave. Oh well, I still have her daughter safely developing her colony for this spring, so we'll see how well they perform. The one thing I would say to all inexperienced beekeepers out there is don't rush into splitting colonies or making increases too early. It's one of the biggest mistakes novices can make. Let your existing colony build up strongly to the point of almost swarming and then split them. The easiest method is something like an artificial swarm, or if you want more than just two colonies, try the two nukes from one parent colony method that I produced a video on last season. 
This second method is one of my favourite methods of increasing colony numbers, and for the more experienced beekeepers out there who are looking to replace several colonies, it's a method of increase that can still give you a honey crop from the parent colony, although of course it will be slightly reduced. But if performed well and at the right time, both parent and nucleus colonies will develop extremely quickly, and the parent colony will barely miss the split. There are lots of other methods of increasing colony numbers, of course. Just take your time to review them all and decide which best suits you. Of course, you could go out and buy a box full of bees, but where's the fun in that? I mentioned making increases too early, but then again, I've also said you have to be guided by your local conditions. And for those beekeepers with little experience, it becomes a guessing game as to when to take the plunge. Having a mentor here really helps, but only if it's a beekeeper with experience. I like to think of it as a cascade of knowledge. The novice goes to a more experienced beekeeper, who in turn will have someone to turn to if they need advice. I'm really lucky to have the Bee Farmers Association to turn to if I need advice. Plenty of very experienced bee farmers who've probably seen it all before and are willing to pass on their valuable knowledge. It all comes at a cost, of course. You have to be willing to give a day helping out if you expect to get their very best advice. But what's not to like with that? You're learning all the time. One word of caution, though. Be wary of the beekeeper who knows it all and refuses to consider other options apart from their own. There are a lot of very experienced beekeepers out there who have been keeping bees badly for years and are only too happy to pass on their bad habits to you. I mentioned getting the timing right for making those increases and splits and not getting caught out by starting too early. The best advice I can give you is some advice that I was given many years ago. To make more bees, you need to provide the colony with the right conditions. Firstly, the colony needs to be strong with a good laying queen. A weak colony can't be expected to produce a second strong colony. It just doesn't work like that. Secondly, they need to have a constant source of food to be able to produce wax to build fresh comb and be able to feed young larvae and queen cells. This could be a really good nectar flow, and early in the season something like oilseed rape is a good example. Failing that, ensure that they have a good supply of sugar syrup in the feeder. Thirdly, and I think this is a really important one, overnight temperatures need to be high enough to allow the colony to continue to work the comb, meaning that the comb doesn't harden excessively overnight and prevent the bees from manipulating it easily. Finally, consider collaborating with fellow beekeepers to build new colonies together. It's always good to work with other beekeepers to build up your own experience and expertise. Maybe you're particularly good at building frames and woodwork, or perhaps you're the best at grafting larvae or assessing frames. Get together with several other beekeepers and share the workload and share the knowledge. It keeps the costs down and, well, beekeeping can get quite isolating. And it's always good to share stories and experiences with other like-minded folk. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget you can get the very latest podcast from my Patreon page. Links will be in the show notes as usual. Finally, thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Yeah.